0: Executive Director of the EMMC Conference, and I just wanted to bring greetings to you on behalf of the conference. Um, We have been in Ontario for this last week, and what you just saw behind us is a uh, teaser for our upcoming gathering. If you're interested in a time of worship, teaching, and fun, please come. If you're interested in catching up with a few old friends and maybe making some new ones, we ask you to come. If you feel like you need to be challenged into a deeper walk with Jesus, please come. On July 7th to 9th of next year, 2017, in Winnipeg, we have secured um, a couple of different speakers. One is Pastor Kenny Warcantine of the Trinity Baptist Church in Winnipeg. He's going to be speaking to us on the first day on the topic of sexual brokenness, to walk us through the confusion and the questions through his unique experience to a clear biblical perspective. If you're interested in knowing how to deal with this topic in this broken world, please come. We also have Pastor Mark Clark, uh, who's coming to us from the village church in Vancouver, BC, as our keynote speaker to give us a clear vision of the gospel, which is our theme. And if you're interested in being challenged and equipped by him, please come. Like I said, Al Kaylor and I have had the privilege of being here for the last week in Ontario, meeting with leadership and pastors of our churches. Being able to be here and seeing your team of pastors, I am truly grateful for the leadership that you have. Under Pastor Ike's leadership, you have a team, and for that we need to be grateful. Uh, For your elder leadership that you have here as well, as I travel, I am constantly reminded of the fact that we have to thank God for his faithfulness, for calling people, and for people who faithfully lead. This morning, you're going to get to hear from Al. That's it for me. But we, again, just thank you for having us here and for giving us this opportunity to share with you.
1: Throw me that bottle when you get down there. Well, thank you. Uh, Lynn and I have been scouting Ontario the last uh, week or so, and we were in Alberta, Saskatchewan the week before. And uh, so I'm kind of getting used to traveling with Ike. I kind of miss my wife, though, when she isn't here. So <laughs> Anita sends you greetings as well, as many of you would know her. And she called last night, and a special greeting to the church family at Deer Run. Leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. What a, what a theme. I love the songs that you sang this morning, I particularly as I was sitting and praying and waiting to come up here. Uh, cast your burdens down, leave your shame. Now, I don't know where God has you, but one of the things that keeps us from hearing God is our burdens, sometimes they're self-imposed, sometimes circumstances around you, and sometimes it's our shame, but when we lay them down, we hear the Word of God. We hear God speaking, and that's my desire here today, that the words that are, are shared here tonight or this morning, that they will reflect more of God's grace and less of ourselves. Grateful for God's grace. When Anita and I were pastoring in Altoona, where Lynn is a, a member, uh, we're living in Winnipeg now, we were four years, we were in Saskatchewan and I fell deeper and deeper in love with the local church, realizing that as a conference we were resource people but the Church of Jesus Christ, the Deer Run Church, teaching people to follow Christ is where it's at. And so our desire is to equip and help you and encourage you. Anita and I were pastoring the Altona Church, and during that time some people from the church started up a prison ministry, and we'd go out every month to Stony Mountain, which is a high-security federal prison, and one Sunday, for one Sunday, they invited us to come, to the deer or to come to the, the Stony Mountain uh, Penitentiary uh, to come a Sunday afternoon baseball game. Uh, the baseball game would be played with the lifers, those that were incarcerated for life, likely for murder. And uh, the, when we got there, but six or seven couples, when we got there, they'd said to us, uh, to the women, because there was women gonna be there, our wives were along, they said, you know, be careful, they made some cat calls and some whistles, you know, don't be too alarmed. Anyhow, we got there, we picked teams, and they mixed the teams up, men and women, inmates, and uh, the people from the church in Eltona, and we started a ball, ball game. I play, it so happened that Anita was in the opposite team that I was, which is kind of neat. Um, but anyhow, I was playing third base, and she was up to bat, and she hit what I call a little dribbler to second. She called it a line drive. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, the second baseman, an inmate from the, from the prison, he picked the ball up, and he waited while Nita rushed over to the first base and when she was almost there, he got to lob the ball over. And you know how you banter when you're playing baseball, you banter and the cheering and all that stuff that's going on. I said, looked at the second baseman and I said, Oh man, uh, couldn't you do better? And he took, looked at me and he said, Al, around here we call that grace. <laughs> I found out later Jim was a believer. He was incarcerated. I'll tell you, in the prisons, in those times that we visited. I've seen men freer than many people that I see in our church pews today. Because of the mercy of God and the confession of sin, Jim had knelt before the cross and had received his mercy and got filled with the grace of God. Around here, he said, we call that grace. Over the years... God has blessed us with the privilege of traveling in churches like yours and in other countries to see God's grace at work. And my question to you this morning, is very simple, are you grateful for God's grace? I don't mean just grateful that you are saved, grateful that you can live a life that reflects that grace that God is pouring out through his people. Because God's grace isn't isn't absorbed and isn't taken away just because he saved us. He didn't save us just so you could get to heaven, although he did. He saved us so you could bring glory to God. He didn't save you to bring you to Deer Run Church. He gave you salvation so you could bring glory to God. And if the grace of God isn't continuing to flow through you, then you are stopping what God wants to do. You're not being equipped or you're not being prepared to do the work of Christ. Let's read in chapter Three of Titus, if you have your Bibles. Chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility, and, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Titus, the young pastor left there by Paul, Paul, who had evangelized the island of Crete, and he had planted many churches, and he left Paul there to be their pastor. He was placed in a pagan society. If you read the rest of Titus, do it at your home sometime during the day or the week. See what kind of a culture that he was placed in. It was a pagan culture, and he placed him there very intently. It's not unlike a culture that we live in today in Canada. But what did Paul do under these circumstances? Paul had a, also had a motto, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. But his motto was at 1 Corinthians chapter 123. And he said, we preach Christ crucified. That's what Pastor Ike just talked about. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. He had a theme, a mantra that drove him to do what he did. And sometimes we are tempted to expend our energy in changing our culture. But that is not to be our goal. On the surface, it sounds like a good thing, and many people are embracing it. Many churches are embracing it. More of a social gospel. But our primary mandate, while those things are good, our primary mandate as Christians is not to first impact culture by creating traditional values or family values through, through political means or through the judicial process. We are to live Christ. Our goal is to see people saved and following Jesus Christ. And to do that, we must preach Christ crucified. That is our agenda. That was Paul's agenda. If we're going to change our culture, we're going to do that, but we will do that from the inside out. Over the years, all the pro-lifers and all the letters to the politicians, and I've written petitions and all kinds of things, we have not significantly changed our culture of our country into Christianity. That doesn't mean those things are wrong. But they are not our main agenda. That is not how God calls us. That's not what he said to to Titus. That's not how you are to change the culture of Crete. The issue is salvation. The plan is bring glory to God. Follow Jesus, bring glory to God. And that happens on the inside out as we preach the good news of Christ. That's why our motto for the gathering coming up in July is 2020 Vision. A clear vision of the gospel. Sometimes when we re-recruit again and when new young leaders come into the church like here in Deer Run or in our conference, we need to go back to the basin and say, why are we here? A clear view of the gospel. And here comes the crunch. Behind that preaching must come a manner of living that makes that message Believable. That will change the world. That is what our text addresses. I don't know if some of you know. Remember Ed Stace used to be pastor in the Elmer Church, and uh, he just turned 85 a couple weeks ago. And he invited the family invited us to his party, and they shared a lot of things. Now, obviously, if you know Ed, he was he must have been quite a a bit of a rebel as a teenager. And uh, when he accepted Christ as a young man, maybe in his 20s, uh, some of the kids shared the story there, his stepmother had said, and I'll say it in Plotich because it sounds better that way, and then I'll translate he said, he said, <laughs> when, Ed, when Eddie accepted Christ, even the cows in the barn knew, knew the difference. That's what grace does. That's what grace does. It changes us from the inside out. To understand Paul's emphasis, we need to begin in the center of this text. I'm going to read verse 4 first. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Now hopping over to verse 7. Titus 3 7, he continues, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Simply translated, around here, we call that grace. You see, Paul, in writing this letter, was a very singular mandate. He wanted to bring the gospel message to the people that he was charged with in Crete. He recognizes the pagan culture so that God could save people from their sin. And then the main way to do that, he says, is by showing the culture what it means to live like saved people. People who are genuinely grateful, genuinely grateful for the grace that saved them traveled to Bolivia over the years quite a bit. Isaac and, uh, and Sarah, we visited them and others. My family's lived there. Daryl and Elaine have lived there. But I've often been in the Spanish churches and sometimes I get to preach there. But when they had a special celebration, they have an anniversary. Uh, uh, the Bolivian Liab churches' anniversaries are big, and they have a big party every year. But when they do their anniversary, what they always do, and some of you have been there, they will take all the provinces of, of, of Bolivia, and the people that have come to the city of Santa Cruz, through, uh, uh, through for whatever reasons, they will dress up in their traditional clothes, different colors, and, and they will carry their flag of that particular province or state. But then they'll walk in and they'll march up along the stage and line up. But the very first flag that has always walked in is the flag of Canada. Why do they honor Canada? They don't. They honor Canada because the gospel was brought there by missionaries like the Isaac Har- Isaac. Uh, Ungers and many others. And so they honor what God has done. The grace of God coming through the missionaries that were sent out by the church. That's what Paul is telling Titus, fly the flag of Jesus here. And he sent him there. At times I wonder if Christians, as Christians we are truly grateful for the gift of salvation. Whether we really have That deep longing, not only to reach others for Christ, but for Christ to return. It seems sometimes like we're quite satisfied. And I speak for myself. I like things. I like things being comfortable. But I realize as I get older, you know, I don't belong. I don't belong in the sense that I have another place. Paul in Philippians 3.20, he calls that, but our citizenship is in heaven. Don't get too comfortable here. And then assuming that we understand this and are grateful for rescuing us from this corrupt world, he goes on, he says, We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's one of the reasons why we find it difficult to allow God's grace to flow through us because our focus is sometimes so much on ourselves and our culture that we lose our sight of the one who's returning. And see here, that's how he sets the agenda. To be focused on eternity means eternal values have priorities in your life. I don't know where you're at. But I know a church like Deer Run has lots of programs. I met with Annie the other day. I met with Peter and with with Pastor Isaac and Quentin. And they all have an agenda that needs lots of volunteers, needs lots of people. Your pastors may be the greatest pastors in the world, and you need to bless them this Christmas, but they can't do it. That's not what pastors are called to do. They're called to equip. And if the quippers aren't going, where will the ministry stay? How will people know God's grace in your life if you're not interacting with them in some form or another? We never get too old, we're never too young. He continues to call up young men and women. Met a young guy at the restaurant with Ike the other day. Man, somebody who wants to go and do something. I find that thrilling. But Paul, Paul makes it very practical. Practical. He comes right down to where we are and what the hindrances are. So, if you look at verses 1 and 2 of this text, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, and then he says, Remind the people to be. And you can actually number six things that he calls you to be. He says, Be subject to rulers and authorities. Big deal in our society. People not not respecting authority, whether that's parents or or, uh, government or whatever it is. Number two, to be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. What kind of opportunities lie before you at Christmas time here in Deer Run? Whether that's ringing a bell at a Salvation Army or something else, or giving a meal to your friend or your neighbor. To slander no one. Oh my goodness. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. That's hard some days. And always be gentle towards everyone. See, being passionate about the gospel requires a lifestyle. But being gentle? Sometimes I'm, I'm so passionate about something that I forget my wife says, Alan, they may think you're mad. Because I'm kind of almost driven sometimes to do something and and if they don't know me well. What is there in this statement that's hard to understand? Look at those, that statement. What is there hard to understand? And there is not one of us here today that does not have an issue with one or two of those things, even right now. And he says, that's not the way to let God's grace flow through you. Okay, so we have this admonishment. Admonishment. It really goes against my grain. It certainly goes against culture, and the word says it's foolishness to Gentiles. But if you and I lived this way, as we strive every day to submit ourselves to God to live in His way, if we lived this way, would it have an impact on the people and the culture around you, or those who call the church? of hypocrites or those who have been disillusioned and hurt by the church? You bet it would. If we know how to behave in a pagan society, then we will have credibility in sharing the message of the gospel of Christ and they will begin to ask you, what is it about you that you're still loving on me? Instead of being accusing, of being judgmental, they would say, around here we call that grace. But there's a balance in our text. And I thank God for the way that Scripture brings that out. It's found in verse 3 of chapter 3. And this is kind of a, to set us back and make sure we know who we are. He says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's who we were. But by God's grace, he healed us. And that's humbling. It is only by God's grace. We are that which we see is wrong in our culture. But around here, dear run, we call that grace. I'm suggesting to you, or rather I'm encouraging us through the Word, that a heart that is grateful for grace is able to somehow Learn to cope with the sin and the injustice in the world that we live in without becoming malicious rebels, without hating the culture that God has placed us in, but rather learning to love the culture and the people in it. If Jesus could look over Jerusalem on his way to the cross, and when he came over the hill and he looked at Jerusalem and the apostasy of the Jews, he wept. Couldn't we... In the same way, looking at our society, weep over that, the, the pagan, the culture that we live in today. When is the last time you've wept over someone that is lost? You see, we need to keep our focus. We need to know where we come from. And then, being grateful for grace, God can open up our lives and our heart to use us for things we could never imagine. The changes we can bring about into our society, in our community, in our families. People who are dying and are lost. So let's read again verses 4 to 7 of our text. But, but when? When the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of the mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I like the word in verse 7 appeared. The word in verse 7, appeared, is the, it comes from the Greek word which we use the word epiphany uh, when we celebrate epiphany in January the 6th. It is the appearing of the star. But it, is, it, it, it means to shine upon, to become visible. God became visible through Jesus Christ. He appeared to us. And after we have lived in darkness and in ignorance and sinfulness and disgrace, God lit up the world. He didn't just hang a light on a Christmas tree. He lit up the world with loving kindness. He dazzled us with His grace. But not only that, in verse 6 of our text, He says He poured out on us generously, richly, exuberantly. He didn't just hang up one light. He lit up the world. And in verse 6, we are shown the grace of God's grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the source except for the abundant grace that comes from us, that comes to us, rather, from the cross of Calvary, you and I would be as lost as the worst sinner that you can imagine. I didn't deserve salvation. But Jesus did it anyway. He reached out into my corrupt and impoverished and darkened and hellbound soul, and he says, Al, I love you. And he poured out his grace. He didn't just give me a bit of grace. He lavished me with his grace. So that I could, ex- could exalt his name. And Paul does how Paul does this, he says, to enter into a hostile world. Words in verse 4 and 5 are like kindness, love, and mercy. It's sometimes hard to walk into a sinful world and love the sinner. But that's what God calls us to do. When I get home, I'm invited to a, a friend. A, we have befriended a gay couple that invited us to a Christmas little party that they're having at their house and invited a few friends. I want to go. I want to love the people. I may not endorse what they do, but they're God's people, and he loves them. And unless the, God, the grace flows through me and through others around his, their life, how can they know a loving God? We don't see in Jesus a grudging, angry attitude towards sinners. The cross was something that he was not forced to do. It was quite the opposite. It tells us that God delights in meeting the least, the deserving, the defeated, the uh, down and outers in your community, making them the object of his unconditional love and his grace. Are you grateful for grace today? Is it too much to ask then, to ask God that we can respond in grace? How can life, our life, begin to reflect the gratitude that we have for what he did for us? And he sums it up in verse 8. He says, This: I want you to stress these things. Listen carefully. I want you to stress these things. What things did he want us to stress? After, I mean, I'd love to take you back into the book of Titus into verse 2 of, of chapter 1, where he says you must teach what is in accord with, with sound doctrine. That's that, that being leading people with sound doctrine. That is still the mandate of the church today. And this c- includes matters of Christian behavior. Sometimes, and some of us have come from, I came from a very conservative background from Rhineland and Manitoba. My dad was a minister and moved to Bolivia. I never lived there, but. But the rules were important, how I dressed and what I did. And I wanted to please my dad and I wanted to please God. And finally I got so frustrated I figured I couldn't please him anyhow. But God still reached into my life. And he says, Al, I want you and I love you. I want to use you, but you need to submit to my grace. It's an ongoing process. He's not done with his grace yet because it's lavished out on you. It doesn't stop at your salvation. You must teach others in accordance to God's grace and sound doctrine. I want to stress these things, he says in verse 8, finally, of our text. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves, get this, to doing what is good. That's where works comes in. We are saved to do good works. These things are what? Excellent and profitable. For whom? for the deer-run church, for your family. No, he says, for everyone. Your whole community will know. Even the cows will know that you've changed. That's what happens when God's grace flows through us. God, in his grace, will permeate your culture from inside out. And as a pastor... I'm concerned for young and old, and, and my heart cries out to the church. I love the church. I don't think there's a better job, Pastor Ike, than being a pastor. I think there's the highest calling there is. I'm called to encourage pastors. I'm hoping I can do that. But the Word of God does it far better. My heart cries out for the church. When I look at the spiritual darkness that is creeping into our nation, and a church that is asleep, wake up. Wake up. Paul says in Titus. Wake up and be the reflection so people will say around here we call that grace. Too often we feel like we want to jump into the political wagon and, 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 and change the world through making statements and demonstrations but that, my friends, is not our goal. It is to preach the gospel and to live it out. Behave like a Christian. And then the church comes together, and we speak, and we teach with boldness, and we call people to holy living. We call people to be discipled and to learn. If you listened in on our meeting we had here on Friday or Thursday, whenever it was, with your board of elders and others and your staff, we talked about discipling leaders. Discipling means that the church people need to submit to the discipling so they can be sent out. Since culture no longer reflects godly values, the church will need to make it stand. And when the church comes together and they make their stand and we pray together, the culture will see that there is a difference. We need to love them with the love of God and show them Christ's grace and saving power that is at work in our lives. Conclude with verses 6 and 7. He says this, He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we have a higher goal, and that is to attain to be with Jesus. Are you grateful for grace today? What will those who do not know Christ say about your life? Does it reflect God's love? Is that outpouring of grace flowing through you? Are there free channels? And when observers, when they observe your life, can your answer be, around here, we call that grace. May the grace of God abound in your life. Because that's what God desires of you. And he will continue to do marvelous things. I don't know what your burdens and your cares are, but they need to be dropped at the cross. Then grace begins to flow Then get up from the cross and move and be discipled and learn and teach and and absorb and then bring it out to the world around you that is waiting. There are so many people are waiting to be asked, what does it mean to be loved? Let me pray. Thank you, God, for the privilege that we have in this country to share the Word of God and to make a difference. And so I pray, Father, for everyone here this morning, but particularly for the leadership of the Deer Run Church, that they would... Just continue to model and to, and to boldly preach the word and draw people into discipleship and into leadership and to serve you, Father, until you come again. May this community know that Deer Run Church has grace flowing through that. Around here, they call it grace. Thank you, Jesus. I pray it in your name.
0: Amen.